0: I'm Finnegan, and you are listening to Restitutio, a podcast that seeks to recover authentic Christianity and live it out today. Why is Christianity awesome? Answering this question is a good exercise for us. So often we hear about why Christianity is terrible, especially in the eyes of the world. Now, many of these critiques are important, and we should be humble enough to listen to problems, both real and perceived. However, my goal today is to focus on the positive. I'd like to spend some time just thinking about the goodness of our faith. I hope you will find it encouraging. Here now is episode 456, Why Christianity is Awesome. (laughs) All right, so my name is Sean Finnegan. This workshop is Why Christianity is Awesome. A couple things about me. I, if you don't know me, I'm a pastor, have been for 17 years, and I attended the Atlanta Bible College uh, before that and then went on to school at Boston University, did a master's degree, studied church history. And uh, so there's. I'm the kind of person that's like really curious about all aspects of Christianity. So, like, I've done a lot of study on the Bible, uh, theology, church history, philosophy, apologetics, languages, archaeology, and on and on. You know, I'm just just interested in all of it. Because I kind of approach Christianity from all its different aspects, what I have to share with you here is very broad, and it, it encompasses a lot of different aspects of Christianity. And really, the question before us is, why is Christianity awesome? And I want to give you three main reasons why I believe Christianity is awesome. And these three reasons are, it makes sense of reality, it makes you better, and it makes society better. Also, I should mention, I have a podcast. It's called Restitutio. And if this recording comes out, this will be an episode on that podcast, and you may be able to hear yourself. If you say something interesting, I'm recording you. If you don't want to get on the podcast, just don't say anything, and you'll be golden. And if anybody wants a sticker, I have them here in the front. It's a theology podcast. I interview people. I do classes, do lots of different material on there. I've had it for a few years now. So, Number one, Christianity makes sense of reality. Now, these are, these are my reasons for why I think Christianity is awesome. You may have other reasons in addition to this. And, but I think it's good for you to know why Christianity is awesome. One, to encourage you. The society, the world, your friends, people are just like constantly bashing Christianity. You ever notice that? It's easy to get down and be like, kind of ashamed, like, yeah, I guess I'm a Christian, yeah. Uh, Depending on where you live, I live in a place in New York State, uh, about three hours north of New York City, where Christians are fairly rare. And Bible-believing Christians are like unicorns. You you meet when you're like, is that even true? Could there be another in my area? We were labeled by Barna as the most post-Christian city in America a few years back. And I thought to myself, wow, what a great place to be a pastor. Look at all the harvest. It's it's so abundant. You can't throw a stone and not hit a non-Christian where I live. Now, I realize some of you live in places where it's the opposite. Everybody's Christian, and you can't throw a stone without hitting a Christian. So don't throw stones. That's the moral of that story. This, I think, can encourage you in light of the fact that our world is attacking Christianity regularly, but also equip you to share your faith with others. Because let's face it, if you go to your friend who's not a Christian and say, I really think you should stop going out and partying and getting drunk and hooking up with guys. Who's going to want to listen to you? Or let's say your, your friend is uh, experiences same-sex attraction. You're like, you know, you really sh- you should be single for life, you know, because that's the right thing to do. Why would they listen to you? You've got to give them some reasons why Christianity is awesome before they're going to be willing to say, oh, well, maybe I'll change my behavior right? you got to start somewhere with people. I'm going to throw a bunch of stuff at you, and uh, I encourage you to take notes if you're into taking notes, or just like take a mental note if you want and look into any of these more deeply. But first up, it makes Christianity make sense of reality. So I've got a few different reasons on that. Uh, I'm going to take the first two together. One, Christianity explains why anything exists. If there is no God, if Christianity is false, it's kind of difficult to account for why there's anything at all. Why should there be a universe? It it would make more sense that there wouldn't be a universe than that there would be a universe, especially considering how finely tuned our universe is to support life. It makes sense that it would be chaotic and hostile to human life, not hospitable. So why do we have anything at all, and why is that a hospitable universe? Christianity makes sense of that. Christianity also explains why there is a beginning. What's the first sentence of the Bible? Somebody boldly quoted out to me. In the, God the in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Thank you. Yeah, Christianity explains why there's a beginning because in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Without Christianity, without God, why should our universe have a beginning? How awkward is it to have a beginning without a beginner? Right? Think of any beginning you know of. Like uh you know, there's like a certain age when you, when you begin to lose your teeth as a kid, right? It's totally weird that this happens, right? Don't you think that's weird? And they just like start falling out. And, you, and when you're a kid and your first one gets wiggly, you don't really know what's going on. <laughs> but by the time you're on your last tooth, you're just like, give me a string, tie it to the door and slam it shut and just yank that puppy out. Because I'm a pro, I've lost all my other teeth, this is just the last one, it's no big deal, another one's going to grow in there. But every time there's a beginning, there's a beginner, right? There is is some sort of cause of a beginning. There are no causeless beginnings. There are eternal things, right? God is eternal. He doesn't need a beginning. Abstract truths are eternal. They don't need a beginning. But the universe has a beginning, and we know that from science. It's not necessarily a Christian belief only. It's a scientific belief based on uh, what we can observe of the universe. Christianity number three explains why creation is so good and beautiful. And on the flip side, Christianity also explains why our world is so bad and ugly. Now, if you have a religion or worldview that just explains why the world is beautiful, but doesn't explain why it's also at the same time ugly in other ways, it's just not going to be as convincing. But Christianity offers a satisfying explanation for why our creation, why the universe is so good and so beautiful. What are some good aspects of creation that you could think of? The design, how everything like works so cohesively and perfectly. What do you mean? You talking about planetary bodies, are you talking about the hydrologic cycle? Yeah. Are you talking about so DNA? Rain. rain. Okay, yeah. Yeah, that's that's an incredible system, right? That's so not obvious. That's so not obvious that the designer would invent a molecule like water in just such a way that when it freezes, it floats. Everything else sinks when it freezes. It's more dense than the the liquid form, except for water. And water floats, and this allows plants to survive on the bottom and fish to survive, right? Isn't that incredible? And then water disappears. It's like magic, right? You have, if we just like poured water on a table and, we, and we, we sat there and watched it, it would slowly disappear. We call that what? Okay, so you got a word for it. You think you're real smart. Sean, I know, that's evaporation. Well, labeling it doesn't make it less weird. Like, <laughs> this sticker, if I put this sticker on a table and I just like stare at it for a while, it doesn't disappear. Other stuff doesn't do that, right? But liquids do. That's weird. And then it magically, I don't want to say magically, it mysteriously escapes this building and then goes up into the sky and turns into a cloud. That's all weird, isn't it? And then the clouds hold rain in them, which is heavier than air, but somehow they hold up there. And then at a certain point, it drops and starts the whole cycle over again. That's brilliant. That's a brilliant way to get water in the sky, to purify and to irrigate. Like, what's your best irrigation idea apart from the hydrologic cycle? What is it? Like, hoses and sprinklers? How inefficient, how expensive, how, like, often would those need to be repaired compared to what we actually have? Like, that's a really impressive system. What else do you think that is good or beautiful? Music. Music. Music's awesome, right? Right. What kind of music you like? Jazz. Jazz. Oh, you're one of those sophisticated purists, yeah. Singer or no singer? No singer. Oof, man. You just went there all by yourself right there, brother. I respect it, but I just can't go there with you. Jazz, jazz is definitely a sophisticated genre. Yeah, there's a lot going on. Yeah, these are all part of God's good creation. What about grapes? Anybody like grapes? Chicken, I like to eat chicken. Chick-fil-A, some of you from the South have a Chick-fil-A. We don't have that in the North yet, although they've been threatening to put one in my town for like years now. (laughs) There's so much like anti-Christian knuckleheads that it's like really hard just to get even a Chick-fil-A in my town. Yeah, there's so much goodness in creation, Uh, sunsets and the experience of eating or of exercising, and then afterwards you feel like you accomplished something or love, right? There's so much goodness in our creation. And it makes sense on Christianity because God is good, so his creation is good. God says over and over, it was good, it was good, it was good, it was good. Six times over in Genesis 1. And then when he surveys everything, he says it was what? Very good. Very good which in Hebrew is? <laughs> Tov meod. Very good. Jake's wearing the shirt, so I figured it was fair game. Tov meod. It says it right there on his shirt. So. And then why is creation so bad and ugly? What 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 explanation does Christianity offer for why our world has violence and sickness and death? Satan sin, sin and where those two come together we get we get the original sin. We get the fall. So because our world is no longer in its perfect paradisal state, it's fallen We understand that, yes, there is a good God who created the heavens and the earth, but then we chose to rebel as a human race, and that brought a consequence of the fall onto us. And then, in the end, God's going to fix it back to the way it was. All right, so that's a little bit about how Christianity makes sense of reality. Number five, Christianity explains why laws of nature exist. They were Christians who discovered the laws of nature in the modern scientific revolution. They were not atheists, they were Christians. Uh, Isaac Newton in particular, who did a lot of work on calculus and gravity, like the equations for gravity, he was a very strong Christian and he also was a Unitarian. He was a non-Trinitarian Christian, although nobody knew that at the time because you could kind of get killed for uh, not going with the crowd in those days. But, uh, yeah, a lot of the scientists, not just Newton, but a lot of the other scientists, they said, you know, God governs humanity by these moral laws, moral principles, call them commandments. So, therefore, if God's the creator of nature as well, he would have laws, consistent laws that govern nature as well. And so, they started to look for them as a result of their faith in God and their belief in Christianity. So, Christianity explains why there are laws in nature And it also, uh, just to get off science for a second, Christianity explains our desire for inclusiveness. Why should people think that it's unfair to exclude people? That's not obvious on evolution. Like on evolution or on atheism, like why wouldn't you exclude people? They're a drain on society or they're going to limit your options for reproduction, right? Like excluding people just makes sense. But the fact that like if I just said, you know what, I, I just hate red bearded men. You two, get the heck out of here right now. How would the rest of you feel like if I was serious and I just like physically cast them out of the room? If you didn't think I was serious, you would just laugh. But if you thought I was serious, you'd be like, Pastor Sean, what the heck? Like, these are people too. Just because they have red beards doesn't mean that they're, they don't have value <laughs> in our society in this class, right? You would get a sense of like, that's unfair or racism, right? You get a sense of like, oh, that's wrong, how they're being treated. Like on Christianity, that makes sense, because God is the one who created all the diversity we see in the world. God is the one that created a self-replicating system that is able to generate the kind of diversity we see in flowers, in plant. I mean, shoot, my wife is growing black tomatoes. Have you ever even heard of black tomatoes? Like, I don't even know when these things are ripe. Like, seriously, like I've picked them twice, and and I take a bite. And I'm like, it tastes like a green tomato. like what? <laughs> so i don't I don't even know. but like there's so much diversity in the plant realm, in the animal realm, in the human realm. What does that tell you about God? He's a God who loves diversity. He enjoys uh, all that, and he intends to have people from every tribe and nation and language to be in his kingdom forever. So Christianity makes sense of our desire for inclusiveness and fairness. Uh, Let's move on to point number two, which is Christianity makes you a better person. And my first point up there is salvation from sin. Because you know that God loves you, because you know that Jesus died for your sins, that God sent his only begotten son to die for your sins, that God raised him from the dead, proving him to be the Messiah, and that he is returning to establish the kingdom, when everything wrong with the world will be made right, That gospel message, that good news that offers forgiveness and redemption and adoption into God's family, this makes you, I believe, a better person. It makes you a better person because you are a forgiven person. You are a reconciled person. You have a relationship with God. You're a person with a relationship with God. And I think those are huge wins, not just spiritually. It's obvious that they're huge wins spiritually, but also psychologically and socially, that overall salvation makes you a better person. What is that teaching we just heard this morning? It was against selfishness. That's going to make you a better person. That's part of working out your salvation, is realizing that you're not the center of the universe. God is, and how God wants you to live, to love him, and to love others, is the best way to live. That's all part of your salvation as well. Christianity also gives you a durable value a durable value. What I mean by value is your self-worth. You can say, I'm significant because God, the most significant being in the universe, the most powerful, the most brilliant, the most famous being in all the universe wants me, loves me, chooses on his end at least, he's going to respect your choice to accept or reject him. But it he, choo- he wants to be with you forever. That gives you a sense of value. And that's a durable sense of value. If your sense of value is that you're really good at, I don't know, what's something you can be really good at? Skateboarding. Skateboarding. So let's say you're a skater. If, if that's your sense of value, what happens when you get injured and you can't skateboard anymore? Or you get old and your hips hurt? Or some other skater comes along and they're just way better than you. What happens to you? You think to yourself, I'm worthless. I have no purpose. I have no value because I'm no longer the thing that I thought I was. Whereas if you base your sense of worth and value on what God says about you, you can get through anything in life. doesn't matter how nasty the suffering is, you still believe that you have value because it depends on what God says about you, not on what you do, how you measure up against others, how, what your abilities are or anything like that. You still have value. We all have value in God's eyes. Any one of us God seeks and pursues. It doesn't mean that we're going to respond. It doesn't mean everyone's going to be saved, but it does mean that he wants you everyone. Christianity also makes you a better person because of ethical boundaries, duties and motives. Reason number 3 here for how Christianity makes you a better person. The Basic ethic of Christianity is love your neighbor as yourself. It's very simple. You could say it in one sentence and it applies to all the situations. Why am I not allowed to just steal I don't know, this watch right here. What kind of watch is that? I don't know. It's got what's that G? Oh, it's a G-Shock. G-Shock, right? So, why can't I just steal that watch? Because I wouldn't want him to steal my watch. Right? You're supposed to love your neighbor as yourself. So it's a self-adjusting ethical boundary. Right? And the Bible gives more information than just this one command to explain how it works in different kinds of situations. But that's an awesome boundary. Christianity also gives you a duty. Why should we love our neighbor as ourself? Well, because God's our creator and he commands it. And he's going to judge you on the last day. So that places a duty on you. Look, if your ethics are socially constructed, if your society determines what's right and wrong, which is what most non-Christians believe, who's to say that you have to do what your society says is right? Why can't you just ignore society and be selfish and do the bad thing? Why not? If you can get away with it. On Christianity, God's always watching. On Christianity, God sees everything that we do and everything that we think. You know, it's just like a really intense form of ethical obligation. But there's an incredible motive also in Christianity when it comes to ethics. And that motive is that God loved first. And so all of our ethical efforts, all of our desire to, by the way, ethics is just like doing what's right. Right, that's what I mean by ethics. All of our ethical efforts are a response to the fact that God acted first. God loved us, and we're responding to that because if you truly love someone, you want to do what they want you to do. You want to do what they prefer. If my wife is making dinner for the family, she never puts mushrooms in anything. You know why? She don't like mushrooms. No, she loves mushrooms. I don't like mushrooms so as an act of love for me even though she likes mushrooms she doesn't put them in stuff because she loves me you know that's her desire to show that love and it's not like I, I commanded her the day we got married 19 years ago and said woman thou shalt not put mushrooms in my food. I never made, like, a duty on her to do that. She's just motivated by love, and I'm motivated by love to do other things that she likes and not do things that annoy her. Like, we had this toilet paper issue early in marriage. I don't know if you've had conversations about this, but there's, like, two ways to put the roll on. on. (laughs) And I I had never thought about this. And uh, so I just like pull, you know, it was like 50-50. I could put it one way or the other way if I reload, right? And she's just like, honey, we need to have a conversation. There's only one right way to do this, and this is how it is. It's got to come over the top. If it's coming down from the back, we're going to have problems in our marriage, okay? And I said, yes, dear. And you know what? In 19 years, I have never put the toilet paper the other way. You know why? Because I know she, I know that matters to her. And because I love her, I want to do what pleases her. And so that's the, that's the power of a love-motivated behavior, is that she doesn't have to say to me over and over again, you have to do this. It's motivated by love. And a fourth reason why Christianity makes you a better person is living hope. That is also the name of my church back home, but that's not why I put it here. Living hope is the idea that In the end, God is going to make everything wrong with the world right. It's the idea of the kingdom of God when everything is renewed and healed, when Jesus returns and we have resurrection. And let me tell you something, if you have hope, you can get through the hard times in life. If you have hope that ultimately it's going to work out, uh, as Martin Luther King said, let us realize the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends towards justice. Why could Martin Luther King have that kind of confidence? Because he knows that there's a God, and that, yes, it is going to take a while for the kingdom... Well, I don't know when the kingdom is going to come, but like, when it comes, justice is going to be served. And uh, we can be agents of that justice even before the kingdom comes, but at least we know that in the end, God wins. That's huge. You ever read the end of the book? Last couple chapters of the Bible, it's like, victory! Yeah! Like, we win! it's gonna get rough but then it gets better. Christianity says the world is good but fallen and one day God will make everything wrong with it right. That's how we deal with dissatisfaction. All right, let's move on to another point. Robust identity. Robust identity. What do I mean by that? Identity is the you that remains you over time. So between yesterday and today, you have changed. Your body has changed, right? What are some changes that you have experienced between yesterday and today? How is, how is, like, if we took a snapshot of your body yesterday and a snapshot of it right now, how is it different? Oh, you have a pimple? I got punched in the head last night. I'm just going to be real transparent with you all. I got punched in the head. Did anybody else get punched in the head or was it was just me? All right, so there's a the brother. Um, it was a sky punch. A guy just came at me just, like, flying through the air and just punched me right in the head. I got hit right right up here. I don't know if you see. It's a little red. Uh, we were both going for the same Frisbee at the same time. That's how it happened. It wasn't, I don't think, intentional. I don't really know. The guy didn't apologize afterwards. But, you know, we're boys. We brushed it off. But, like, I've got, like, a, a pain and a slight bump right here on my forehead that I didn't have yesterday. So I can relate. I can relate. What, what's something else that changed from yesterday to today with your body? Yes, yes, we have a lot of postalia that are still with us. We've probably lost hairs and grown fingernails. I don't know. Uh, We've probably lost, like, skin cells. There's probably all kinds of change we don't even know about that have happened. Now, but you're still the same you you were yesterday, even though your body's changed. Like, even if we cut off your arms and your legs, you'd still be you just without your arms and your legs, Right? Even if we added new arms and legs on, that would be weird. But it would still be you. You would still have the same identity. So identity is the you that, who is the same over time. And the question is, who are you? And the three answers, if we look at history, are you have the traditional identity, you have the individualist identity, and you have what I'm just going to call the Christian identity identity or God-given identity. So the traditional identity says, you are who your parents and who your village say you are. So, and that depends on what your parents were. So if your parents, let's say your, uh, your parents were blacksmiths, somebody's got to be the blacksmith for the next generation. Guess what? It's you. Because your parents are blacksmiths, you're going to be a blacksmith. Simple as that. Either that, or you can go become a monk and live in a monastery or something. You know, like there are very limited options, you know, uh, in the ancient world or in the medieval world. If your mother, y- your parents, you're, you're a girl, you're, you're just going to get married off and you're going to have to watch the kids and that's as simple as it is. You know, like the options are very limited. Your society tells you who you are and then holds you accountable to that. The individualist mindset, which is more modern, says... You can be whoever you want to be. You just have to discover, you have to look inside and discover who you are. So the the traditional sense of identity is assigned from someone that's outward or external. The individualist sense of identity is discovered, not assigned, but discovered by looking inward to see who you truly are. In the wisdom of Disney, It's time to see what I can do to test the limits and break through, no right, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm free. So that's looking inward to discover who you truly are and if you find out that truly on the inside you're an introverted ice princess, then that's who you are. And who's gonna ever disagree with that? Nobody else can tell you who you are. Well, that's the individualist mindset, uh, very well portrayed by Elsa. And, frozen. and then you have the Christian mindset. And the Christian mindset of identity looks upward. The Christian looks upward and says, God, who am I? And God says, you are my beloved child. You are someone whom I love. You are one of the family. You're someone, you're a saint. You're one of the, the, the people that, I'm calling to myself, right? That's who we are when we look upward as a Christian. And it's a stable, it's a robust, it's a strong identity that can get through difficulties. The problem with the traditional identity is, what if you stink at being a blacksmith and you're just like, could be a great musician, but like your society says, well, you can't do that. Because who's going to shoe the horses? If you're off singing and uh, doing whatever you do. The individualist mindset has its own problems. Yes, there's a lot of freedom. You know, that's like the big thing, right? No rules for me, I'm free. I can do whatever I want to do. But the downside of it is what happens when your inner desires conflict with each other or when they change over time? Your identity becomes incredibly fragile if you're an individualist mindset and you have to have, ironically, you have to have a lot more support in your social group to affirm your identity, if it's something that is different. Uh, maybe I can explain this using this quote from Tim Keller from his Making Sense of God book. He says, Only if we are approved and loved by someone whom we esteem can we achieve any self esteem. To use biblical terms, we need someone to bless us because we can't bless ourselves. We are irreducibly social and relational beings. We need someone we respect to respect us. We need someone we admire to admire us. The simple fact of the matter is you do need external affirmation for whatever identity it is you're choosing to make the core of your being. And this explains why there's a lot of chaos in our world today with identity politics and a lot of uh, other issues that, that arise. But the Christian is actually the one that's the most free. The Christian could adopt a traditional or an individualist. It, it, it wouldn't matter because what really matters is the fact that God says, you are my child. You're a child of God, whether you're doing a blacksmith traditional trade that your parents did, whether you're singing Broadway, whatever. It's not who you are, it's what you do. Who you are is a child of God, and that presents, I believe, a robust identity. All right, last point. Christianity makes society better. I wonder if we could brainstorm a little bit before I give you what I've thought about on this, and you could tell me in what ways has Christianity, or does Christianity currently, make the world a better place? Any ideas you got? Altruism? Altruism is you do something regardless of it not being a benefit to you. It's like a more of a technical term for, I think, what you're saying there. I mean, we're in a classroom, we might as well learn a word, you know what I mean? Just throwing it out. What else you got? I think Christianity does bring a lot of altruism into our society, that's true. What institutions can you think of that Christians have started? Colleges. Colleges. How many colleges do you think we started? <laughs> all of them, not all of them, but pretty, pretty high number of colleges. We certainly started the older schools. The, uh, I think the one of the oldest is uh, Oxford. Oxford, I think it's about a thousand years old now. And yeah, we, we started that. No big deal. The people at Oxford that weren't happy anymore and split off and they started Cambridge. Yeah, they were Christians too. That's us. I always I reminded of um, the, the mindset that, Jewish people have, and, uh, well, I live in New York, so there's lots of Jewish people. Uh, they're different than Israeli Jews. New York Jews are an acquired taste, and I love them. But one of the things that they do is, is they'll, you'll be talking to somebody that's Jewish, and they'll say, oh, um, did you know that so-and-so is Jewish? Like, you'll just be talking about, like, a movie or something, and, like, they'll they'll be like, did you know that that actor's Jewish? Yeah, that's, that's one of ours. You know, like, that's just, like, a thing they do, right? And so I think as Christians, like, this is an exercise for us to do that and just be like, yeah, the colleges, those are ours. We started those. Not all of them, but like, you know, we, we pretty much pioneered higher education as an idea that didn't exist in the Roman Empire, didn't exist among the Hindus, didn't exist among the Greeks or the Egyptians. Like, this was this was us. We invented college. Uh, for better or for worse, what else you got? What else have Christians brought into the world Hospitals, yeah, a ton of hospitals. Again, probably not every hospital that's out there, but a lot of hospitals are started by Christians. One of the hospitals near me is called uh, Samaritan Hospital. A wonder of Christians started that one, right? Um, there's a huge number of them. What else you got? Goodwill, Goodwill? yeah. D- did Christians start that? Do you know? Salvation Army. We can definitely say the Salvation Army. Yeah, no, shelters are great. Shelter, a lot of uh, homeless shelters and uh, soup kitchens are not just started by Christians, but are still run by Christians. Even, even in my context, where there are not that many Christians around, all the soup kitchens are pretty much run by Christians, even to this day. Do you have insight? Uh, it said uh, Goodwill was started by Reverend Edgar Helms in We're going to take, take that as a, a plus one in our column here. Okay. Well, yeah, but we started it. So we brought that to the world. The world messed it up, but we we, st- we still brought it in, you know? We, st- we still brought it in. Any other thoughts on how Christianity has made the society better? Uh, I think we did pretty well. I want to add uh, World Vision. I don't know if you ever heard of that, but World Vision is like a Christian version of the Red Cross where they go into... Countries that are struggling and they bring humanitarian aid in the name of Christ. Samaritan Purse Purse is a Catholic organization. Catholic Charities would be another one. A lot of different Christian organizations out there. There are a lot of welfare institutions. You touched on hospitals. I want to add to that hospice. Hospice was invented by Christians. A lady named Cicely Cicely Sanders, or Saunders, or something. Um, she started hospice in England as a way to focus on the patient and not the sickness in the last years, or months, or however long it is, of somebody's life. Crisis pregnancy centers. is another huge area of welfare where Christians, almost exclusively are Christians, uh, get involved to help someone who is in a crisis pregnancy to do what's best for the child. And also to take care of, certainly, the, uh, the parent as well. Then you have adoption agencies. You ever heard of Bethany? Uh, was it Bethany Christian Services? So Bethany Christian Services is an incredible Christian adoption agency that says any child, for any reason, we have people, Christians, signed up to adopt. I came into a situation where somebody was thinking of uh, aborting their child and... Uh, it was because the child was gonna be born with disabilities. And uh, I called Bethany Services. I got in touch with the the caseworkers there. I said, look, this kid's gonna be severely disabled, might not even survive birth. And they said, we've got people signed up. We will take that child. Even if that child's only gonna live for a week or even a few hours, we have Christians in the United States signed up already to take that child, to love that child, and if that child dies, to give that child an honorable burial and a nice funeral. And it's just like, pfft, that's, incre- that's an incredible good that we as Christians bring to the world for somebody who can't deal with having a child or is not able to, especially if the child is severely disabled. That's, that's a huge life changer for someone. And to think that we are offering that to, to people. What about um, AA or NA? Do you know what those are? Yeah. That's helping people with alcohol addiction and drug addiction. Um, There's also Sexaholics Anonymous, right? Sex Anonymous. And then um, Gamblers Anonymous. Like, there's all these different institutions that most cities have where mostly Christians, I'm not saying you have to be a Christian to be part of it, but certainly started by Christians, try to help people in these incredible ways. I just want to mention a couple others here. Celebrate recovery. Yep, that's, that's, a very, that's a very good Christian, uh, like a little more strong Christian flavor on recovery. What about art? What art have Christians brought into the world? Pretty much all of the Romantic era art. Yeah. Michelangelo, he was ours. Caravaggio, he was ours. You know, like all those Renaissance painters, I mean, not all of them probably, but like most of them were ours. I don't know if Picasso was ours. Yeah, Catholic cathedrals. You know, we're we're trying to be big tent here, right, with this exercise. We're saying Christians in general. So, yeah, anything the Catholics have done, we're just going to claim it for this exercise. Anything Protestants have done, Greek Orthodox, whatever. We're going to say Christianity makes the world a better place. Think also of um, architecture. Let me show you Sagrada Familia. It's the oldest construction project in the world. Yeah, it's been under construction for 140 years in Barcelona. This is massive church that they've just been like constantly working on for 140 years. And it's just filled with all these depictions from the Bible, like carved into the sides of it. Just incredible stuff like this, architecture like this that Christians have brought into the world not to mention Christians who did architecture that wasn't related to churches. What about literature? We certainly bring a lot of literature into the world. I mean, the Bible is a starting place, right? But also Augustine's Confessions, Dante's Inferno, John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress, C.S. Lewis's Screwtape Letters. There's a lot of literature, literary output that Christians have had in the world. Music We brought so much music into the world. like all the classical stuff is is Christian and then uh, there's been a lot of Christian influences in all the different genres, whatever they happen to be. Uh, certainly painting, sculpture. Uh, we already mentioned educational institutions, social capital. That's the idea that you actually tell the truth when you have business exchanges with people. It's the idea that when it comes to economic cooperation, you don't have to have everyone sign a contract for every little thing because people are not going to rip you off necessarily, right? And so that's something that I think we bring to the world, social capital, also tolerance and justice. I'm just going to end on those two because we're about out of time here. But tolerance is the idea that because God doesn't force us to believe in him, God doesn't force us to live for him. Therefore, we as Christians do not, Feel a need to force others to believe in God. In other words, we're the ones that invented a tolerant society in the United States. You know who started the United States, right? Christians. Just gonna throw that out there. We started a country, probably many countries, but you know the whole idea of tolerance that people could have religious freedom, that was a Christian idea because God doesn't force us to do things. Now, have Christians gotten this wrong in the past? Yes. We have, and that's to our shame, right? But if you read the scripture, you don't see God saying to, even to the ancient Israelites on their journey in the wilderness, he doesn't say to them, you know, if you leave the camp, we're going to hunt you down and kill you. Anybody was free to leave at any time. It, but if you're going to stay, you've got to live this way. So that's the idea of Christian tolerance. And then last of all, Christian justice. Christian justice is so, so needed today because Christian justice says anyone who's suffering is valuable. Anyone who's suffering counts, and we should help. It doesn't just say, well, only if you're part of this group of people, then your suffering counts. But if you're part of this group, then your suffering doesn't count because you're a majority. So uh, justice is is another key area where Christianity really does make the world a better place. Do you know that in many countries of the world, if somebody's on the police force, you just can never get them for a crime? In the United States and in other countries that have a stronger Christian historic influence, even if you're a a high-level leader in the police or in the government, you can still go to jail that's justice. That's really incredible. Christians believe in justice and in fairness uh, for all, not just for certain people. So those are some reasons why Christianity is awesome. Number one, again, is it makes sense of reality. Number two, it makes you better. And number three, it makes society better. That brings this teaching to an end. What did you think? Come on over to restitudio.org and find episode 456, Why Christianity is Awesome, and leave your feedback there. I'm sure you have more reasons than I was able to cover here. So I'm back from Africa. I had a great time getting to know the leaders and congregations of two churches, one in Brazzaville and the other in Kinshasa in the two Congo countries. Now, I may do an episode at some point in the future about my time there, but uh, I know for sure I'm going to be sharing on the trip along with my two fellow travelers, Tom Riley and Russell Brown, this Sunday at my church. So I'm not sure how well that presentation will translate to audio only since we have lots of videos and pictures to show, Uh, but I may end up putting that out in a future episode, may not. If you want to watch it, uh, we'll have it up on LHIM.org within a couple of days of this Sunday, so you can find it there, or for those of you who subscribe to our YouTube channel for Living Hope International Ministries, you'll see it, you'll see it this Sunday live stream starting at 10.30 Eastern Time, and, and it'll be available for watching anytime after noon as well, so check that out if you want to know more about my exciting trip to Africa. Well, that's it for me for today. I'll catch you next week. Appreciate those who support Restitutio. You can do that on our website. And remember, the truth has nothing to fear.